here we are, uh, week nine in the one series. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four, seven through thirteen. I've got a feeling after that last, after that set of worship songs, I've got a feeling we're going to sense a theme here this morning. Uh, the theme's going to be grace. We talked last week that um, Paul is kind of turning that corner, right, from um, theory to practical. So this morning we're going to continue that, just the thinking of, okay, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Now how does that start to work its way out? Um, Last week we talked about washing your car and washing your dad's car. Remember that? And the difference between the two is ownership. Right, So when you are washing your dad's car, it's like, oh, i got to wash dad's car. But when you're washing your car because you're paying for it, you own it, it's like, I get to wash my car. The difference is ownership. So today, Paul's going to start to outline, the, the real Paul, not me, the actual Paul that wrote the, the letter of Ephesians. He's going to start to outline what God's plan is for the church, what our part is in that plan. It's, listen, I'm just, I can't shoot any straighter than this. It's going to be so critical that we remember this thing about ownership, okay? Because like we talked about last week, the difference between a chore and a choice is ownership. And I know sometimes we, we can read stuff in the Bible. If you grew up in the South, if you've been to church any amount of time in your life, you understand how it feels to go to church and walk out like you just got handed a list of a million things to do, right? And nobody likes that. Is that fair to say? Nobody likes that. Sometimes when we realize that we are, it's an ownership thing. Like we talked about, God has given the church unity. We don't create unity. We don't make, we don't get together and close our eyes and sing kumbaya to try to feel something. We already have unity. Jesus accomplished that. That's what we've learned in in Ephesians. It's all about in Christ. So we already have unity. (laughs) Whether it's good or not is up to us. But we have unity. We don't have to create it, manufacture it. We own it. And so when we realize that we own it, then the things that we're going to read that Paul's like, hey, if you'll do these things, your, your unity will grow stronger. If you'll do these things, your body will grow more mature. I, it's easy to feel like, God, I'm so busy. Like I couldn't even focus while Phil was singing because I was thinking about all the stuff I have to do. And now Paul got up there and grabbed the mic because he's got all the power. And he told me more stuff to do. It's so easy to feel that way. But this is something that we own. These are not things we have to do. These are things that we get to do. So here we go. You got four points. See how, don't you love how I don't make you write stuff anymore? I just give you these sheets and you can just look at them and there's a, you don't have to fill in any blanks if you don't want to. You can take all the notes you want or you can doodle. Whatever you want to do, right? Some of you are doodlers. You already started. Here's the first thing. The first point is this. No child left behind. No child left behind. Let's just read real quick verses 7 through 13, and then we'll go back through verse 7 in chapter 4. It says this, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And everybody said, what? So we recognize that lots of times we read stuff in the Bible and we're pretty sure it's good. Because it's in the Bible, but we don't really know what it means. 
That sounds really good. What does it mean? So we're going to talk four steps, just four things. Try to break it down, just make it real plain so we all understand. First one is no child left behind. Now, if you're a teacher, if you are in the educational system, and I say no child left behind, or forget teachers, if you just like are a person who likes to watch Fox News, if I say no child left behind, immediately we could just draw, we've been talking all this time about breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, and I just said a phrase that can immediately put us on two different sides, right? Because, like, that is one political phrase. But what I want you to understand today is that it was God's idea before we screwed it up. God was all about not leaving anybody behind, no child left behind. Now, we hear that and we think, okay, that means that our school system is teaching towards a test so that they can pass a certain number of people so that they can get money from the government, which we all paid to give the government so they could give it to them. But that's not God's plan at all. God's plan was simply this, that there aren't favorites, that there aren't some that get grace and some that don't get grace. He says it the first four words, but to each one, everybody. God's plan was not to give Casey bucketfuls of grace and to give me bucketfuls, but I'll take it, wouldn't you? Bucketfuls of grace and to look at Wendy and go, I ran out, sorry. Which would be horrible, although she doesn't really need it. God's plan was that no child would be left behind. I mean, if you are in Christ, and we've learned that from the very beginning, Ephesians is written to people who are in Christ. This is not to people who are in church. This is not the people who do more, better, more good than, than, than they do bad. These are people who have put their entire trust, their entire faith, everything they have, everything they hope for, my whole eternity, my whole existence is built in Christ. Like I got no shot if I'm not following Jesus. This book is written to those people. And he says if you're in Christ like that, let me tell you something. Everybody gets grace. Everybody. No child is going to be left behind to each one. God gives grace. I, I, have you ever gone to a party? You get invited to a party. You show up, and you're thinking, when I go to the party, there's going to be, you've already got in your head, men don't think like this, but women do. There's going to be three children. I've got to have three gifts. And you, like, you find the perfect gifts because you like $5 and under, right? So you go to the dollar store. You pick out like cap guns, whatever, really good stuff. You show up, and there's five kids. You ever have that happen? Like, what? Oh, I don't have a gift for all these kids. What am I going to do? You go back out in your car. You start looking underneath the seats. You start looking anywhere you can. You're stealing stuff. You're stealing things from people just so you can give a gift. You don't want to be there unprepared to give gifts. God's never like that. He never walks. uh, He never shows up. He never looks at a crowd and goes, oh, man, how did I forget about them? He never runs out of grace. He never overlooks somebody. Now, admittedly, sometimes we fail in this area. But let's just talk about grace. If you don't get anything else out of today, let's just talk about grace. If you've got your pens, you want to write these verses down, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses you can write down. Because this is not the first time that the believers in Ephesus heard this word. We've been taking the last eight weeks working through Ephesians. Here's what they've heard to this point about grace. Ephesians 1.6, God gives grace freely. Ephesians 1.7, God is rich in grace. I don't know what you're rich in. Some of you are rich in gas. Not the kind that makes your car go. The kind that makes people go, right? God is rich in grace. Ephesians 2.5, God's, God's grace makes us alive. 
Ephesians 2, 7, God's grace was seen in Jesus. So when you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus acted, that's grace in action. Like we can never say, well, I don't know what grace looks like. Yeah, just read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one. See how Jesus walked. That's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, we're saved by grace. Ephesians 3, 2, we're given God's grace. This is so critical for others. Because I don't know how you are when I get a really, like, I'll just use Jan. Jan walked up to me this morning, and she handed me this bag. Thank you, Jan. She hands me this bag. It's so heavy that when I grabbed it, I, it pulled me one way. And I looked inside, and anybody want to guess what it's full of? It starts with Swedish, ends with fish. Swedish fish. Oh, the best gummy candy ever made, right? Best gummy candy. And if you've ever had it, just come see me. But when I got it, I looked in the bag. Now, now granted, I've got three children, right? And my children, because they are my children, they love Swedish fish. But I looked in, my, in that bag, and the first thing I said was, Jan, you're amazing. You are fantastic. And the first thing I thought was, how can I get this home without anybody seeing it? And that's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. But that's kind of how we are sometimes. And we just kind of get a good gift, and we love that we got the good gift. But then I'm thinking, God, if I, if I show this, everybody, everybody in here is going to want some Swedish fish. And my, our first reaction is to kind of keep that to ourselves. And look, I'm not saying to make you feel bad. Or, it's just the way we are. It's something in our heart that has to get changed. Jesus is changing that. But God's grace often is the same way. God gave me grace. Yes. And we want to keep it for ourselves. But Ephesians 3, 2 says that we're given God's grace to give to others. It's critical to remember that God's not willing to leave any of his children behind when it comes to growing us into one body. I already told you that we, we fail in this area. We don't always love each other well. We don't always, well, this is... They're going to hate me after today. I'll just go ahead and say it. I know that we don't always love each other well, but have you noticed that we don't often make it easy for people to love us either? Like porcupine Christians? You get your pointers all out and go, nobody's hugging me. Yeah, because it hurts. You're hard to hug. Put the quills away. (laughs) Come closer now. We don't always do a good job of loving or being loved. And I get that. We don't always do what God did. We don't always give and receive grace the way that he did. But, man, it's worth fighting for. We have a father who is not willing to leave us behind. I remember when I watched Taken. It's an older movie, of course, but when I watched Taken and at the end when Liam, who I wish he was my, you know, everybody wishes, I wish that was my dad, right? Like, he just busted up, and I know it's terrible that he killed all those people, but he had to because they were jerks, right? And he, he just does all this stuff just so he can go in and rescue his daughter. And here's the thing. Our culture loves redemption. They spent tons of money to go see that movie once, twice, three times. They recommended that you got to see Taken. It's some fantastic movie. You won't believe it's so good you'll be on the edge of your seat because we love the stories of redemption. God is so much better than that. He's so much better at rescuing. There's something in you and I that love this. We love the fact that God redeems. 
that he rescues. He's so much better than the father in that movie. You know, he's a, it's a big task. And we fail. And that's why God gives us grace to each one. Number two, riding on the crazy elevator. Um, if you were going to get lost in this passage of Scripture, it's going to be somewhere between verses 8 and 10 because there's a lot of going up and coming down and ascending and descending, and you're just like, I don't even know what that means. It's in parentheses, so I'm skipping it. Right? I don't even know what that, what's going on there. Let's just, let me sum, up, sum it up like this. This shows the character of the God that gives grace. He isn't a king. I thought about Christmas parades. He's not a king who sits up on the throne and throws out gifts to peasants. He's a humble Savior who came down to hand deliver gifts to prisoners. Big difference. If you've ever been to the Albemarle Parade, you know, they just toss candy out. And it's great. And I'm, I'm always knocking kids out of the way to get the candy, especially if it's Swedish fish. I'm just, you're throwing it out there. But that's not a picture of what God does. God doesn't just toss stuff out. This picture says, look, he was on high, and he came down to give gifts. He's not distant. A lot of times people, they'll read this. You can, if you want to, for the fun, just go read a bunch of commentaries. They're the really thick books with big words that you don't understand. And we all feel like we're supposed to read them, so we try, and they smell like they've not been open in years. Read those about this passage, and here's what you'll find. Some people say, well, yeah, he was in heaven, he came to earth, so that's like up and down. No, that's not it. He was in heaven, he came to earth, and then he went down to hell. Jesus went to hell, what's up with that? And then he came back up, and that's what it means. You know, we can argue all day long about what this means, but what it really means is this. We have a God who always comes down to give gifts that will raise people to another level. That's the God we have. You keep reading in Philippians chapter 2, you read about Jesus. And he, though he was God, he came down. He humbled himself all the way to obedience on the cross so that he could give what it says here, give gifts to people so that they could go to another level. We read about this last week, Psalm 1835. Never seen it before until last week. Fantastic verse. It's one of those things you want to star, you want to highlight it in your Bible. And the end of it says this about God, that he stoops down to make us great. That's the picture that's going on here. So Jesus is hopping on this elevator. He's going up and down, and he's not doing it because it's fun to push buttons and make it stop at every floor. He's coming down because he's stooping down to make us great. The question is, how does God make us great? says that he does it by giving gifts to men. And the question would be, what are those gifts and what do they look like? And the answer is the person sitting next to you. Take a good look at them. Imagine a bow on top of their head. For all the guys that are sitting next to guys, I'm sorry, that was so awkward for you, wasn't it? Funny you're imagining me with a bow because my name's Bo. <laughs> You're sitting next to a gift. That's the crazy part. We love the fact that God gives gifts because all of us love to get gifts, but we are the gifts. Verse 11 tells us that God gave gifts. He says it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. God gave gifts that we could use 
to develop the body. Each one of us, we're given the gifts of grace so we could be gifts of growth. We're given gifts of grace so we can be gifts of growth. That'd be a, I was going to make that the big idea, but I thought if we start trying to say that five times, like we'd be like, blah, 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 right? But he gives, we, he gives us the gift of grace so that we can be the gifts of growth for other people. Each one of us is a gift that helps each one of us grow. There are some, and he mentions five, there are some that are more leadership positions. They're apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm one of those, right? And so in the American church, what we do is we find those people, we pay them lots of money, and we tell them, hey, I want you to stand up on the stage. I want you to do a show for us so that I can sit back and chill and relax and love it and be like going to see Taken at the movie theater. And I can feel good every time I leave. But what Paul paints here is, no, there's positions of leadership, and what they do is they follow the exact same model that Jesus did, and they stoop down to make other people great. And they have been given gifts. They have been, their gifts allow them to serve in an area of leadership, and because they're in leadership, because they're on a the platform, they don't get to stand up here and do this. They step down to make people great. That's why we've been given gifts. That's why I'm a gift. I'm a gift. You're sitting next to a gift. Some of the husbands looked at their wives and said, I've been telling you all this time I'm a gift from God to you. You're sitting next to a gift. And here's what the gifts do. The gifts are used by the body, in the body, to grow the body to the whole measure of the fullness of God, Ephesians 4.13. It says, until we all reach unity in the faith, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. We talk about this mental picture a lot. The whole measure of the fullness of God, that's in the south when you've eaten so much that you have to undo your belt. That's what that means. To be that full, to be that grown up, to be that mature. And you know what? The only way to get there is not to hear better preaching, because if that's what you're hoping for, you're in trouble. The only way to get there is to be a part of a body where the gifts are being used by everybody to lift people to another level. We stoop down to make men great. Here's the big idea today. A five-word poem. The gifting does the lifting. The gifting does the lifting. When your gift is being used and my gift is being used, the whole body is built up. So Jesus comes down. He gives gifts to the church. You're sitting next to one of those gifts if they're in Christ. And his whole plan is that the gifts in this room, when they're being used correctly, when they're being utilized, actually lift the whole body to another level. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. There's only one flaw in that whole plan. Us. That's the flaw. Point four. All right means we're all right. All right means that we're all right. 
The way that we know we've succeeded is when all of us have reached maturity. We've already talked about this is not always what we experience. It doesn't make it any less of a goal, right? I mean, all of us can, it, we can all relate to that. I've, I've, been, I've sat in a church all my life, and I never grew. I never got to use my gift. Experience doesn't dictate the Word of God, but this is the goal, right? The goal is that we're all using our gifts, and it's raising everybody to another level. When it comes to the body, I want you to get this. Anything less than all is an indication that something isn't all right. That sounds so brilliant, but I knew that you need to see a picture to really understand it, so I brought one. Um, see if this picture helps you kind of grab this. You can just leave that up there for a while. So the way it works in your physical body is if, if this were real, which it's not, but if this were real, one, you would never shake his hand because he would break your arm. We, we would not be celebrating a huge arm. We would be in the doctor's office saying, my son's a freak, help. Right? You seeing that? See, when it comes to the body, it's not good for one or two things to be working well. They've all got to work well. If, if 98% of your physical body is functioning the way it's supposed to, but the 2% that's not functioning is killing you, you don't sit at home and go, I'm good, man, 98%, fantastic. You're going to die. So what you do is you go to the hospital to figure out what's wrong with the 2% that's not functioning the way it's supposed to. See, all right means that we're all, all right. Thank you. It's a fantastic picture. This is going to be a bizarre illustration. It's just the way that my mind works, and I apologize to my family ahead of time. I've got three kids. Three. If two of my children grow up to win Nobel Prizes, but one grows up to be a bomber and blows up the airport in New York City. I cannot believe I came up with that, but I did. I'm not going to just ignore the bombing because I had a 66.7% success rate as a parent. Do you see what I'm saying? We settle for less than all. When Ephesians 4, 7 through 13 is very clear that the goal is that we all reach maturity. Percentages work in baseball and business, but in a family, the only number that matters is 100%. 100% participation means 100% elevation. See what it did there? A little rhyme for you. 100% participation means 100% elevation. The body suffers if everyone isn't discovering their gifts, developing their gifts, and using their gifts to serve. So admittedly, um, this can be tricky. So let's talk about where we, where we kind of go from here. How does, how does this work itself out in a church family so that the gathering doesn't become a, a church that has a freak, freakishly large right arm, right? Which I'm going to just I'm gonna submit this to you guys. You don't have to agree with it. I'm just going to throw it out there from my you know, years and years since I was born of experience in churches. There's a lot of churches that look like that. Because they have a really good pastor, but that's all they got. Or um, they've got a really good kids' ministry, but that's all they got. 
Oh, they got a really great youth ministry, but that's all they got. Oh, man, they're so good at coming out to your house and sitting with you and letting you know that they love you, but that's all they got. I mean, nothing else. Fun. They got one thing that really works well, but nothing else does. And that's what churches like that look like. We don't want that to happen. How do we keep that from happening? It means that we've got to be intentional about knowing what our gifts are and knowing where we can use them. So let me tell you what we've been doing here over the last four months or so. We've been meeting. A lot of people in leadership at different levels have been meeting at the gathering, just trying to talk through some of this kind of stuff, working out how do we put some structure that can help us not become the church with a freakishly large arm. And so here's what we're going to do. We've got some men that are going to grab some brochures, and everybody here is going to get one. If nothing else, they're these humongous brochures, 11 by 17. You can make some killer paper airplanes out of these. But what you're going to get is a brochure that is kind of the, this is kind of the end result of what we've been talking about in leadership here over the last few months. While they're passing those out, let me just kind of read you one more one more verse. I read it this, this past week. Man, it helped me a ton. They also make for really good fans if you need it. So, before I read this verse, um, let me just say what some of you might already be thinking. For me, like growing a body, putting stuff in place like systems and structures, like when I hear words like that, it really brings out my inner child, okay? And my inner child is rebellious and easily bored and easily distracted because I've got like inner, inner ADD child, right? And so when, if we just sat down right now, we could talk about Panthers football all day long, and I'm with you. You throw up the word structure, and my eyes glaze over, okay? And I'm just like, can't we just all, like, get together and have fun? But here's what I read this week that, I mean, it helped me a ton to see what's going on right now in our church. Proverbs 24, 27, here's what it says. Now, I'm just sitting at my desk. I'm I'm drinking coffee, just chilling, me and Jesus. And I read this proverb, finish your outdoor work. And get your fields ready, which immediately made me not, not like God at all. I was like, God, don't make me do yard work. What's up with that, right? I don't like yard work. Finish your outdoor work. Get your fields ready. After that, build your house. And I read that. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of I get it. Like typically what we do is a, we build the house. We like build this huge church, and we like all the stuff. We, we get the professionals together that are up on the platform, and we build this amazing thing, and then we ask everybody to come and see how great it is. And this proverb says, no, you got it all wrong because you can have a great building, a great house, a great church, but if you got a horrible yard and weeds are growing up, nobody can, one, see what you have, and two, it's got no curb appeal, and no one's going to want to be a part of it because they can't even get to it. And what this proverb is saying is, look, do this. Better plan. Finish the outdoor work. Do the hard stuff first. Get the yard clear. Make it easy for people to come. And then be a part of building a house. 
And that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, there are people in our church that are listed on that brochure you got that serve as elders. There are people here that serve on, on a leadership team. There are people here that serve on staff, volunteer, but still staff, and they are brilliant. And they are so much better at detail stuff than me. And I'm so thankful that our church has been blessed with people that can come and help do the outside yard work, get it ready, so that we can then today stand here and present you a brochure that says basically this. A lot of stuff on that brochure, we're already doing it. But frantically, like no real structure. And we're just ready to put some structure to it. And make it very easy for each one of you, take a, take a peek at the person next to you again. They're reading that brochure. That gift that you're sitting next to, we don't want that gift to go unopened. We don't want that gift to sit there and not be used. We want to make it very easy and very clear, man. You got a gift. You got a passion. You got an area that really, man, gets you going. Here is how you can get plugged into that. It's not enough to just build a great building. It's better for all of us. No child left behind. All of us to use the gifts God's given us to build a great building. No spectators. Because when we spectate, it doesn't allow our gifts to do the lifting. So the brochure you're holding is kind of like a picture of our property. We don't have property. You know, we don't have land somewhere that we're getting ready for a building. That's the property. That's the yard that's got to be cleared so that you can say, hey, I love to shoot video. I love good video. I wonder how I could do that. How can I even use that in church? Can you use video in church? Absolutely. On the back of that page is creative arts. Let's go talk to Phil. You go talk to Richard. So I'd love to be a part of that. How can I get started? So here's what we're going to ask you to do. That's a lot to think about. We're going to ask you to take one week and pray. Just take that brochure home. Don't make a paper airplane out of it yet. Okay, You're going to need it this week. Take that brochure home. Look at it. Read it. Read the descriptions. See the places that you would love to kind of fit in. And then next week, we're going to talk about the last part of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to take time intentionally at the end of next service, 10, 15 minutes, that the people that are listed under each one of those ministry teams, uh, you've got creative arts, you've got ministries, you've got missions. The people that are listed as those leaders, they're going to be at designated tables in this room that you can just go and talk to them. You're not going to be obligated. Well, no, they might make you obligated. I, they won't. You won't be obligated. You just get a chance to go talk to them and say, I'm interested in being a part of this specific area of ministry. And you know what happens? What happens is all of us start to work together. We all start to use our gifts and suddenly, every level in this church just begins to rise. Just begins to rise. Let me point out one person to you right now. This is John Ball right there. Hello, John. Let me tell you how this makes things rise. John, thankfully, is everything that I'm not. He's good looking. Just kidding. Every time, you can ask Wendy, we have conversations about details, and I'm telling you, I just, gone. And here's a man who, for his entire corporate career, all he did was details. 
and he shows up at our church. And you can ask John this. The first time he and I went to have lunch, my first question to John was, what are you doing here? And he said, Jesus is here. I just, your mission, I, like, I want to be a part of this. And he is exactly who we need because he's exactly what I'm not. And so the level of me teaching goes up because somebody's using their gifts. That's what this brochure will do. Because I don't have to figure all this out. We just have to put a structure in place. And we have leaders listed on that leadership team who have spent time and are spending time figuring out what that structure looks like, how it works, and what you're holding is the result of that. And there's nothing magic about that brochure. Is there? Look at it real close. Do you see anything magic happening there? No. The magic is you. The magic is me. The magic is us using our gifts in the right place so that we're passionate about what we're doing. And when that happens, man, this place is going to lift off even more. Not numerically even necessarily, but what Ephesians says, to the fullness of the measure of God. Because the gifting does the lifting. 